All right, but we're recording now. What's up, man? It's been a long while, man. Yeah, how you doing, my boy? I'm doing all right, man. So how's your um how life been treating you, man? Uh pretty good, you know, uh especially because you know the most important thing in my life right now is pro wrestling and that's going pretty well. So I can't really complain as long as wrestling is going well, everything's going well. <laughs> But when when did you get started this man this journey? Because I remember when you told me we said Kenwood, you was just primarily uh, doing football and uh, this free was it a freestyle you was doing in high school? Yeah, we we had the uh, catch style wrestling, and then uh, I mean outside of football, and I I was gonna try my hand at baseball, but I'd actually uh, cut too much into football. Um, it was uh, also track, you know, we, we got to do a little bit of shot track put, shot put. You did shot put, right? Oh, shot put and discus. At first, they were going to let me do hurdles also, but uh, shot, it was going to be shot put, discus, hurdles, and then mid-distance. But unfortunately, uh, those track events kind of mix, mixed up badly with my field events. So it was kind of like I had to pick a new coach, which was uh, the coach from the football team, who also happened to be the coach for the wrestling team, Coach Upstetler. He was like, nah, boy, get Get your butt over there and go ahead and do some shot putting discus. Don't worry about all the other stuff. You don't need to run. Just be heavy and throw stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but with uh, starting the journey, honestly, like I've always wanted to be a professional wrestler since I was a little kid. Uh, but I didn't actually know there was a way to do it until I met uh, somebody you're familiar with. That we used to go to school with Mr. Miguel Robles, and he kind of he kind of passed that knowledge down that he got directly from the horse's mouth, if you want to call him that, or the goat's mouth, depending on how you feel about him. Uh, I Miguel, Miguel was Miguel, Miguel was tearing shit up on the wrestling scene in high school. Well, yeah, definitely. Man, placed fourth in state uh, his senior year, and he was nobody to be messed with. Uh, but I think uh, it was back when he was like in sixth grade. It, it inspired him to get to get up and get going. Uh, he went to a book signing for Chris Jericho. and He told him to go to Lance Storms Academy out in Calgary, Ontario, Canada. I hope mm -hmm. I got that right. There's a lot of different provinces and territories. Anyways, so uh, he was told that in sixth grade. Uh, that's why he joined the wrestling team. He lost all that weight, started uh, doing catch wrestling or whatnot, doing that in, a, in middle school and high school, and that's how he got so good by the time he left high school. But um, we we hit it off really well our senior year, so around, like, 2010, me and him just got really close, so I kind of started to share that vision for him. And then uh, it was one, you know, sometimes people don't don't understand this or they they don't always see that this kind of comes into play, but usually tragic events or, you know, uh, mishappenings will breed something better. It'll inspire you to do more, inspire you to be better, be a better person. Uh, there was a bit of an unfortunate incident with a relationship of his, obviously nothing too crazy, but, uh, you know, dealing with that, that got us to have a conversation where we kind of made that promise to each other. That's what we were going to do. Uh, so we were determined we were going to go up to Lance's school get trained to be professional wrestlers. I was like, hey, I know how to do it now. There's no excuse. Let me just get the money up, put my money where my mouth is because I've always wanted to do this. And now that he's going through this, let's just go ahead and do this together. This is going to be our thing. And uh, <laughs> things turned out a little bit differently. We still got to the same goal. We're still wrestling with each other as a tag team on the independents. And we're still wrestling in the business right now. But uh, we kind of went two different paths. He still ended up going to Lance back in 2015. I didn't get my training until 2018 so we made that decision and made that promise to each other in 2013 
but it took me about five years to get with the program. And it took a took Miguel about two years. So, so what's what's the process to get into the program? Uh, so when it comes to getting into a professional wrestling school and becoming a professional wrestler, uh, the right way, you know, say I, I got to put that in there because. I've been told this from my coaches. I know it from my own personal experience of seeing people out there wrestling guys on the indies. Bro, anybody, anybody will put up a school. You've got guys that even got less experience than me that are popping up schools. But if you want to go the right way about it, make for sure you get your money up because usually, if not always, you get what you pay for. So a lot of the most expensive schools, like let's say, for example, Landstorms Academy. That's one of the best schools in the world, hands down. For uh, their success rate, it is very high. You have a lot of people that came from Landstorms Academy and went straight to WWE, went to Impact, uh, went to any major promotion. There's plenty of those people AD, out there. A, what's the AEW and all that? And an AEW too. And in, in AEW and Impact Wrestling at the time before it was bought out, uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, some of us are in NWA, obviously, like Miguel, uh, who's in NWA and on television now too. And then WWE for sure. So there's a lot of people that go to that school and a lot of people will recommend in the business. This is one of the best, of the best. So with that school, like I think his price at the time was probably like 3,500 for tuition. And then Miguel coming from the United States and having to have a place to stay, he spent over probably a little bit over $10,000 just to go there, train there for about three months, just for the basic training. That's, that's extremely basic. So, so in the basic training, what, what do you learn? Like, like the 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 cage charisma like that the thoracic um stuff like that or what what do you what do you really really learn when i say with the basics i mean the very basics so with lance's academy uh his is a bit different i can't speak on his in totality i mean yeah, exactly i'm learning there just because of the fact that I was I was brought up under a different system. I was brought up under a system uh, more like Al Snow's uh, training system that he gets to implement here uh, in OVW. Well, not here in OVW, in, in Louisville, Kentucky at OVW. He's now the owner of it. He's running the training facility. So it works uh, similar to that kind of system they already have going there where you have your basics. So then you get to your intermediate, then you get to your advanced. So with your basics at Lance's school, you may be closer to somebody getting into or getting out of the intermediate course because you've got a lot more meat on the bones with your training. But when it comes to a basic course, so we can speak on exactly my experience, you learn how the first day you learn how to bump, which is just falling on your butt, well, falling on your back. Anytime that you fall, you land, that's a bump. So if you land on your side, if you land on your head, you just took a bump. Uh, it's just up to you in um, how you land that bump. You definitely don't want to take that bump on the back of your head. Uh, so with that, you'll learn how to bump in probably the first week. You'll learn uh, running the ropes. You'll kind of learn how to get that ring sense. You'll learn uh, probably bits and pieces of psychology. And usually everybody in basic training will learn their first spot. And the only spot most people will teach you in basic training is the universal spot 
And once you learn the universal spot, even as just somebody going through the beginner training or even watching people go through training, you'll see it in every match. You'll you'll notice that people do it a ton of times because a universal is something that everybody knows. It's why it's called the universal. It doesn't matter the language. It's something that's spoken pretty easily. Everybody knows what it is. It's the same thing. It's headlock, shoot off, tackle, drop down, leapfrog. What was it? Like, tackle, drop down. Uh, leapfrog, hip toss, arm drag, body slam, get it again. So it's the same type of spot, and it works perfectly because the spot, you can reverse it without changing a single thing. Go through the entire spot itself, and you'll end up right back at the beginning of the spot, but in an opposite position. So it's it's a perfect spot to teach anybody how to how to wrestle, you know, so, to give them so a... So what is the process to really getting your, your feet wet with your matches? Do you have to pretty much beg or how does that, how does that work really? So also with a lot of basic training courses, by the end of it, you'll probably be able to run a full match, you know, something basic, like, again, we're giving you the spot of the universal. Now, when you do that spot of the universal, it goes as fast as the slowest person in it, but you always want to make sure you slow down, emphasize what you're doing, make sure you're still, you're telling a story with it. So that can last as long as you want it to. But from there, you may learn the different sections of a match and how to build a match. Learn the skeletons, the outlines of how a match works. Now, with that skeleton, with that outline, it's not going to be the same in every match. Different situations, different stories, different things call for different things in a match. Not every match is going to start with the same structure of, you know, shine, cutoff, heat. Uh, hope spots, however many you want to do, come back, and then to your finish. It's not always going to go exactly that same way. You may you may go different ways. You may not have a shine at all. You're you're you may be going straight into a heat spot at the beginning of the match. I come in, I bum rush you, and I beat the crap out of you for most of that match. Hey, we didn't have a shine spot. We never had that. So, so who comes with the storytelling part? Does the promoter oh, yeah. come with the story story the story part, or you come uh, you you and your opponent come up with the storyline? Now it depends on it depends on who usually is booking it. That that comes to your booker. Um, I'm not typically somebody who likes you know break open the curtain for everything. Uh, so when it comes to how the match is going to go, that is typically determined by your booker, unless they trust you and your opponent or whoever else involved in the match with creating your own situation of how you want things to go to get to the the end the end result that the booker wants. Sometimes that booker may want certain things to happen in between the match or have a certain story told. Uh, but let's say back in the day, okay, we're, we're going to say this is 70s, 80s, 60s, uh, sometimes even the 90s. This is how it would go uh, when you come in for a show and you, you run your first match. All right. Uh, hey, uh, we're going to have you good guy versus that bad guy. Uh, I want the finish to be... I don't know, a rock bottom. We'll just make some up. Okay, mm -hmm. that's what I want. You guys go out there and fill in the blanks. You might just go ahead and, you know, uh, nowadays it's more common for people to plan everything out, get their spots in order to tell what story they want to tell. Sometimes people, it's a lost art form to call everything in the ring. A lot of people don't know how to do that in this day and age. And that's kind of what the norm used to be is, again, like I said, good guy, bad guy in the match with that guy winning, the good guy winning. Uh, hit him with a rock bottom at the end of the match. That's all I care about. You guys do whatever you want out there. And then you just go out there and do it. 
And that's definitely harder to come up with everything on the fly, which is, that's what it's called is wrestling on the fly. So, you know, with wrestling those matches, that's, that's pretty much how it's usually going to go. Or at least back then, that's typically how it's going to go. I just feel like the wrestling changed over the years, though, man. I, I just feel like back in the golden years when we was growing up, you, you're probably a little bit older than me. I'm about to be 30 this year. You're probably, what, 31? Oh, no, I turned 30 in April. Okay, okay. We're about the same age. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It, it was a little more, I feel like they had it all together, WWE and the other mm. promotions. The, now it's feel like too mm. much, it's, it's kind of cringy. You know what I mean? Well, it's a, it's not exactly a, a style that I myself subscribe to just because with myself and what NWA kind of stands for, uh, which is, is that's a, that's a promotion that's existed since, uh, if I remember correctly, 1948, uh, the National Wrestling Alliance has been around. So a lot of that old school wrestling that you used to see existed for a long time, the NWA until, you know, less attention was on them. They were the biggest promotion for decades mm-hmm. until obviously the WWWF came to be a thing and Vince McMahon Sr. left the NWA and then Vince McMahon Jr. took over the WWF and then that turns WWE. You know, obviously they're taking more of that shine because there was no territory system anymore. But to not go any further than that, um, with wrestling, it should always be... This is going to sound weird. What you do inside the ropes does not matter. And when I say that, I'm using that as a blanket statement, but let me elaborate on what I mean. It does not matter as much as what you do with your character work and showing who you are, getting that over, your your emotion, your facials, as we call, as we call it, which is showing the emotion on your face, telling the story with your body language, with your face, and, and how you move. Your, your ring psychology makes the most sense. You could have an extremely basic match and tell a fantastic story. That's what wrestling used to be. Let's say if it's the 70s or 80s, uh, a finish a finish to a match could be just a regular old suplex. That could be the finish of the match. It could be a Thez press, which is what Stone Cold used to do, where he just run up, jump on top, you throw a couple punches. That was a finish before. Now, doing those things as a finish seems a little bit too basic, but when you tell the right story, that could that's, work. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's why I feel like it's missing now. You know what I mean? Because we've then- gotten to the point of a wrestling arms race. It's like, where do you go after you get from sticks and stones to, uh, you know, spears and arrows to swords to then you get to guns, then you go up from guns to, to bigger guns, to bigger guns, to bigger guns, to cannons, all the way to, you know, drones, fighter jets, nukes. Once you get to nukes, you don't get any better than that. What, chemical warfare? There's eventually a point where you get to this is the most we can do with wrestling. And at this point, I feel like we've reached the zenith of what you can do inside that ring and how crazy it can get. This is about as crazy as wrestling can get. So I feel like at this point, what we need is something like NWA, how NWA exists right now, where we're kind of bringing that old school style back or what we focus on more than anything else. And and WWE definitely does this uh, still, but we focus on that storytelling. We bring back an idea of old school wrestling, but with a more traditional and more modern style uh, but nothing that insults your intelligence, not saying that, that other style insults your intelligence, but we also slow the pace down. We make for sure that you fall in love with our characters, fall in love with our people, fall in love with exactly what we're doing in the ring. We get you involved. It's it's all about suspension of disbelief. 
I want you to believe that when I punch this guy, I'm knocking his lights out. When I when I have my matches, you can go back to the last match that NWA put out that I had on NWA USA this last Saturday. My match between myself and AJ Kazana, somebody who really has that old school look, and so do I. There's a point in that match where he gives me a big old right hand to the jaw. Mm-hmm. You see it in person because I work that well. You see it on camera. That man looked like he knocked me for a loop. And within that match, he did. When it happens in, in that ring, when I come out of that curtain, everything you see is real. And I'm going to make you believe that. I'm never going to get you to the point where you don't believe it. I'm not going to kick somebody in the head multiple times uh, and they don't go down because, I mean, you know how it is. You, you still do the MMA thing. You know, if somebody kicks you in the head, that's it. Most yeah. most guys, they get one kick to the head. That's the end of, that's the end of that. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, and then, you know what I mean, Ric Flair was the, the one of the greatest in promos. I feel like the promos are not even the same before. You mean that, remember the epic promos before before the match, going towards the match? I miss that expense about wrestling, which a lot, a lot of people can't do good promos no more. I mean, there's still a lot of guys that make great promos and can really sell you in because uh, let's put it like this. When it comes to wrestling, what puts butts in seats? And a lot of people would say, you know, gap, especially with the gap, definitely that gift of gap. Yeah, and, and some people don't understand it with wrestling. That's why I feel like sometimes we've lost the plot because a lot of people will think that what puts butts in seats is being the best wrestler, being the best technical wrestler, being able to do all the moves in the ring. And honestly, it doesn't matter what you can or can't do in the ring, really, as long as you're decent. As long as you're on a, a level of being decent, you're not screwing up everything you're doing and doing stuff you can't do in the ring. As long as you're doing basic, general stuff and it looks good, it's believable, it looks good, it works for you, that's fine. What's more important than that is getting out those promos, doing that character work. That's what makes your matches great. That's what makes people want to see you because let's put it like this. A lot of people, it was a popular trend, especially in the 2010s, to kind of go and uh, shit on wrestlers who were more basic. People would say all the time, oh, Hulk Hogan can't wrestle. He's not good, blah, blah, blah. He fucking sucks. No, Hulk Hogan is a fantastic wrestler. He, If anything, he's one of the best workers in the business, and he understood exactly what he was doing. He could do basic stuff, but guess what? Everybody's going to lose their fucking mind when he does his very basic shit. Everybody knows Hulk Hogan's comeback. It's extremely simple. It is. It is. He's one of the people in the business that does it. Where oh, it just out of the middle of nowhere, you punch him. Oh no, brother. Oh no, another punch. Oh no, brother. A third punch. What? Do, 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 do. A couple punches. You give. You you whip. You whip the guy off. You give him a big boot. He hits the rope. Then boom, atomic leg drop. Everybody goes fucking ape shit, and they are loving what they're seeing. And guess what? It works every time because of the fact that psychology in Hulk Hogan's matches, they always work. The character work always work. His promos put you in the building. There is going to be more people that are going to pay money to see Hulk Hogan do that basic shit I just said, than see. The best wrestler in the world, whoever people think it is, it does a million moves a minute, does everything, but can't cut a promo to save his life. Or is cutting the same generic promo over and over again that doesn't get you hype and doesn't get you emotionally involved. No, we want to see this guy. We feel like we know Hulk Hogan. He's a hero to us because of what he says and how he acts and how he carries himself, as opposed to silent, badass guy who uh, just does a a lot of cool-looking moves. That that's that's where that difference is, and a lot of people have lost that plot and prefer the the guy in the ladder that I'm talking about, the guy that can do all the moves, as opposed to the guy who puts your butts in the seats in the first place. 
So do you believe in, um, is it a kind of like a body shame for male wrestlers? Do you got to be cut up or it doesn't matter? Because, you know, it's, it was never too many bony, non-physique wrestlers back in the day. Is it a certain physique you need to be a professional wrestler? So it either needs to be a certain physique. It actually definitely does need to be a certain physique. I mean, the wrestling business, anybody will tell you this, especially anybody who knows what they're talking about in professional wrestling, they can tell you it's a body business. It's a business about looks. It's a business about perception. Perception is reality. We're suspending people's disbelief. We're making for sure that you believe. And would you believe somebody a quarter of my size mm -hmm. that looks like they have no muscle tone to them at all is going to throw a punch and knock me the fuck out with it? Fuck no. I'm over, I'm like 265, almost 270 pounds. And a lot of that is muscle. Like, you know, I'm, I'm about 5'11 in the, in the boots that I wear, I'm 6'1". Let's just be real here. And you're going to think that somebody who is what, let's say 5'6", 5'7", 5'8", who's barely, barely over a buck 50 soaking wet is going to just throw a good right hand, knock me out and drop me in one shot. No. You think that guy may be able to kick me in the head and knock me out? Maybe, possibly, depends on his training. But for the most part, no. You think that guy is going to be able to out-wrestle me or even pick me up? You think that guy is naturally going to be able to do that without me helping him? No, it's, 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 it's hard to suspend disbelief. And the more you strain that, that, that suspension, the worse it gets. So it is kind of a body-shaming thing. But there are some people that have been able to work around that because of those important things you talked about, the character work and the promos. If you can couple, talk only couple people, only a couple of people, people. There's only a couple of people I know off ahead, probably like Ray Mysterio. Um, but he's maybe still big. The Hardy Maybe the Hardy brothers. Well, the Hardys, was, this is the thing was, about the Hardys. not really that big. Jeff Hardy is around the same size as me. He's around the same height. Fuck I think no. he's an inch shorter. Uh, whenever I first met Jeff back in 2017, Jeff was, he was pretty jacked. So I was a bit bigger than him, but not by a lot. In the range? Huh? Yeah. Jeff is definitely in a 200 range. Oh my God. It looks so small on TV. I never, I thought they That's was like 185, 175 maybe. Oh no, 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 no. There's a lot of people that are deceptively big. There's some people that are deceptively small that you wouldn't guess are that small. Uh, for example, like I thought, um, AJ Styles was a lot taller because I used to watch him in TNA here and there and I didn't really know how the setup worked and then I saw um, I, I met him in person I saw him he came to an NWA taping to come to one of the gear makers that we had that we retained at NWA and uh, he came to pick up some gear for the Royal Rumble and I was like oh my god that's that's AJ Styles and I expected him to be like my height or taller and so I was kind of surprised that he was a bit shorter than me He's still, he's still a pretty decently sized guy, but I outsize him by a lot. And so I didn't really expect to see that because I assumed AJ was a lot bigger. Uh, with wrestling, again, it's perception is reality. So, um, you know, you, as long as whatever you claim to be billed as you're at least close to, people can believe it. I mean, um, I'm billed as 6'1", and when I'm in those boots, I am legitimately 6'1". I make for sure everything that I'm billed towards that people will put on the internet or put on NWA television, that is as close to accurate as possible, or that is exactly accurate. I am, I am billed as being 265 on television. I'm billed as being five, uh, either 5'11 or 6'1". In those boots, I am 6'1". My weight currently is 262. I dropped three pounds. That's, that's about it. So so what's the so what's the basic workouts you do to keep yourself, you know, me trimmed for the ring and you just how many calories you put in your system? 
Uh, boy, I just be throwing them in. You know, you know, I'm fat. <laughs> so you, so you, so you but, just uh, do you need like CT Fletcher, just Big Max, and just work out. What, what, what kind of games uh, you no, be trying? No, to- no, I've been definitely trying to cut back on like the the reckless eating, just because I'm starting to get a little bit tubby. Uh, definitely got to make sure you keep up your cardio when it comes to professional wrestling. It's not like the cardio that we had whenever we did catch wrestling in high school. That's that's a whole different game of it and that definitely helps that's why somebody like Kurt Angle is out there tearing it up same thing with Dolph Ziggler or Shelton Benjamin or Brock Lesnar because all those guys they were legitimate shooters they were like myself legitimate shooters and if anything they have a longer more storied career as being a shooter uh and somebody who's really done this taking us to the NCAA and taking it as far as you possibly can without going to the Olympics and these guys have that kind of cardio, they keep up with it. And you're going to need that in professional wrestling to get your best out of it. Sometimes if you know how to work it well, you can definitely disguise that you don't have the greatest cardio in the world. I've definitely had to do it myself. But when it comes to those workouts, uh, if anything, I still went back to a powerlifting schedule uh, for how I lifted. So I always, it's always been important to me to be strong. I started powerlifting whenever I got into college. That's how I gained a bunch of weight. When I left high school, I was 173. I was 173, five, nine and a half. Uh, was, I gained a few was, inches. He was 73 playing. He was on the oh, D yeah. line and he was so, on the offense line. Senior year, I was at 173. I dropped a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. Oh, my I God. Was, uh, I was still wrestling 189, but I was 173, but I was a big 173. I was a 173 that looked like I was 205. Cause I was at 3% body fat. I was cut up and I was a, I was a big 173. Uh, now when you put the pads on, you get me out there on the football field. Most people wouldn't think that I would produce because I'm so small compared to some of the other guys, but my technique was good. I was stronger than a lot of other guys that were 300 so pounds or whatever those other high schoolers, they get ran over, pancaked, whatever else. And the quarterback gets smacked up. That's usually how it work in football, better technique wins. And with professional wrestling, it's, it's again, like I said, it's all about how you carry yourself. It's about how you carry yourself. It's about your attitude. There's some guys that don't have the greatest physiques in the world, but they can talk you into that building. I want to see this guy, the guy that's got the, the dad bod or whoever else or whatnot. And if you're big enough, if you're big enough, hey, that, that completely works. There's some people that don't have the greatest physiques in history, because especially, let's say, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, not everybody had the greatest physique. Some people will walk around with their beer gut and barrel chest. But the thing is, those guys were also legitimately huge. Let's say a former NWA champion very recently became the NWA champion uh, just last year, Trevor Murdoch. Trevor Murdoch is somebody who did, he doesn't have the greatest physique. But this is the thing you meet Trevor Murdoch in person, because I don't know if you ever watched him during a, the Ruthless Aggression era during the mid to, uh, mid to late 2000s, but Trevor didn't seem that big on camera. I've been around Trevor for a while now. Trevor is a huge man. Trevor is a monster of a man. You might look at his physique and be like, well, he doesn't look like a big muscle-bound monster. Uh, you get in person with the man. That man looks like he would maul you. Absolutely maul you. That is somebody who not only can talk you in the building, but also he looks like somebody who could beat the crap out of you. And that's what I always think is more important when it comes to the whole look. It doesn't matter how big you are, how small you are. Do you look like you can beat somebody's ass? At the end of the day, we're 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 producing we're producing combat that suspends disbelief. You need to look like you're beating somebody's ass. You need to look like you're gonna fuck somebody up. If you don't, you're losing the plot on people. How am I gonna invest with you when I don't think you could actually whip my ass? Um, so how long how long do you think you really got out of your body? 
for for competitive pro wrestling? Uh, are you saying like how long do you think my body will last? Yeah, with all the shit uh, you did in your life, how long do you think you got left? Uh, honestly, it depends on how I work, and I try to work a safer style, more sensible style. I only get really risky when it comes to big matches. So, uh, you know, honestly, I think I got a good, I'm about 30 now. Uh, with the style that I work, probably about a good 20 years. That's a hell of a career. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not typical, but now a lot of guys are working until their 40s. I mean, Triple H, he recently had to retire for realsies. He, he had, that, he had, that, he had that, that, that skin in his heart, right? Oh, yeah. So he's he's in his mid-50s now. Taker was in his mid-50s by the time he stopped. Uh, but Taker definitely, he he took a lot more damage than some other people. Flair, Flair's trying to have one last match. And he's got to be in his 70s, almost in his 80s. Vince McMahon was still doing it in his 70s at WrestleMania. Stone Cold's in his 50s. Rock is in his 50s. Uh, it, it's a lot of guys that are in their 50s and are still able to work a, a pretty decent style. And I mean, shoot, let's go to NWA, brother. Uh, the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, Ricky Moore, uh, uh, Ricky Morton, and uh, Robert Gibson. They're both in their 60s, man. And they're still running the exact same style match. They can run exactly at the same pace they were back in the 80s, uh, back in the 90s, back in the 70s, back in the 2000s. They can run the exact same Rock and Roll Express match and knock it out of the park and have the crowd waiting on their every move on the edge of their seats. They can do the exact same thing at that age. So there's nothing to say that I can't do the same. So do you have any things coming up or... You got another match coming up in the next couple months? Or- yeah, I uh, actually got these next, uh, the next three weekends kind of booked up, and I'm looking to book some more stuff. Uh, so I got a show is on the 4th all, of June. Is it all local scene, or you got to travel a little bit? Uh, I got to travel a little bit for all of these. Uh, none of these are going to be, like, local to Clarksville or anything like that. Um, this Saturday is going to be in Ringgold, Georgia, uh, and then we got a show – uh, I obviously got a set of tapings for NWA. We got a pay-per-view on uh, the 11th. So I'm wrestling for the NWA television title against Tyrus, um, who is the former Brodus Clay, who is the current uh, Tyrus that you might see every day on uh, Fox News. And he's currently holding the NWA television title. I'm going to go ahead and take that off his hands. And then uh, after that, we got another show on the 12th called Knocks Out, uh, right after the Always Ready pay-per-view that's named after Matt Cardona, our current NWA champion. Uh, And then we have two days of tapings for NWA USA, our Saturday morning show, and then NWA Power, which is our main show that comes on Tuesdays, and then is replayed on YouTube on Fridays. And then... um, after we get done with those tapings, it's going to be from June 11th until the 14th. Uh, then I got about two days to rest up a little bit because those tapings, they kick my butt. You know, I'm wrestling a couple matches a day, uh, which is not too easy. But I've got a couple days to recover, and then I'm heading down to Jacksonville, Florida to meet up with Pope for the Love Alive Charities uh show that they're going to have down there. I think it's called The Clash 2. Uh, so I'll be wrestling on that show. Me and Miguel will be there. And then we've got an all-night seminar that's going to be hosted by J.B. Cool and then also Pope himself, uh, the former Elijah Burke. Well, the current Elijah Burke, that's his real name. Uh, but uh, also JTG, who's another uh, familiar face from uh, WWE. They're all going to be hosting that all-night seminar. We're doing a lock-in for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to raise a lot of great money for good people that need just a little bit of help in the Jacksonville, Florida area. 
after that, uh, just booking up a little bit more wrestling here and there, keeping my schedule open. That's, that's the slump, Matthew. Matthew Mills, how can they get uh, in touch with you to give you support? Uh, well, honestly, on my social media. Yeah, um, basically just uh, really underscore Mims. I made up the name because I really am Mims. That is that is my real last name, even though people don't think that. Uh, that's just for my Instagram. I don't I don't have a Twitter because I'm a caveman. I, you don't, I, you don't I got no merch. Facebook. You don't got no merch. Merch is big though. Merch. You don't got no uh, merch yet. This is the thing with merch. Uh, I'm having some new stuff getting printed off. Uh, I'll usually have the match for shows locally. I want to have something that's exclusive for people that come out to see me. To make for sure they're able to buy that stuff and obviously with the nwa they'll be able to come out to nwa tapings and and buy my merch also but i have a lot of uh new stuff kind of trying to get printed out uh so i ran out of hats i had a couple snapbacks i had the big strong mims on it uh the big strong mims t-shirts i still have some of those uh, i'm running out of those i just got them in all the wacky sizes now it's like the smalls the mediums the schmediums uh the three xls i got those still left but i ain't got any of the regular size anymore um but also with NWA, I'm looking to work in some big, strong champ shirts when I win that uh, NWA television championship. Uh, so I'll work that out with NWA whenever that time comes, if I get the ability and I and I handle myself accordingly like I typically do in that ring and I win that title off of Tyrus, I will come out with some new big, strong champ shirts. And those will be officially sold through NWA's merch. Uh, I'm sure it'll be through like, you know, NWA.com or National Wrestling Alliance.com where they can find my merch there. But uh, other than that, it will always be local. It will always be to whatever show I go to. So I always have that, whether I'm in Clarksville, Oak Grove, Georgia, St. Louis, blah, 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 whatever else. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on to Ride Us as a podcast, man. I really do appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah. Anytime, man. We go way back. So, of course, I had to go way back when he was cut up and he was wearing them tight ass shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still do. Don't don't get it. Don't get it twisted. I still wear tight ass shirts. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, anytime. Feel free to invite me to do more. All right, yeah. Have a good one, man. All right, you too, brother.